from Relay FM. This is Connected, episode 161. Today's show is brought to you by PDF Pen from Smile, FreshBooks, and Encapsula. My name is Mike Hurley. I am joined by Federico Vitici. Ciao, Federico. Hello, Michael. Oh, gosh. And Stephen Hackett. How are you, Stephen? Hello, Michael and Federico. Mm. I feel like I need to extend both of your names is the only way to make this fair to me now. How would you extend my name? It's already uh, the longest name. Like just give it like another two syllables. I don't know what yet. Though. I'm going to work on that. I'll report back. I'll come up with uh, okay. some new names All for you right. both. Sure. Okay. There are some there are some people in my life. They don't I don't think they listen to the show, but they'll be nameless just in case who are very southern and really struggle with Federico's name and and sort of pronounce it if he's if he's, if he's Fred Fred Rico, I hear that a lot. Mm-hmm. I hear Frederico. A lot of people call him Frederico. F- Fred yeah. Frederico. Frederico <laughs> sounds like um, I don't know. Maybe he sounds older. Maybe like he's a barber or some yeah. sort of handyman. I don't know. I like it. I also like the version that I've heard where people just condense a lot of the vowel, vowel sounds and just call him Frederico. Yeah, which is also <laughs> fun for me. It's just like I, I've, I haven't got enough time. To, to give him all of these vows, so he's just Federico. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I, I've always struggled to get people to pronounce or spell my name correctly, and uh, it, it's all the most the more surprising to me when I reply to someone in an email and there's clearly my name in the signature, so they're looking at my name, and instead when they reply, they say Federico. Where it's like, mm. can you even look at the name of the sender and the signature? And instead, <laughs> it, it just well, it's always funny because um, I think the German version, it's Frederick. Uh, so that's kind of similar, I guess. Mm-hmm. I see English too. I really don't mind. You know, Frederick. Oh, yeah. Uh, so I have actually made the decision that um, you guys, to, to make fun of me, uh, extend my name. So I think I've decided that I'm going to shorten your names. Steve and Fred oh, no. is who I have with me today. <laughs> it's no! nice to speak. Steve and Fred. Uh, that's that's um, brilliant. Mm. There we go. We've got we it. have some we have some important real time follow up from the chat room. Okay, Kyle sent us uh, a link. FredericoChristmasTrees.com. dot mm. com. So I'll go to this. It is a Christmas tree company in his part of the uh, of the world. Huh. And, this is a much uh, fancier looking website than what I was expecting. Yeah. Based on the name yeah. of the company. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they use Gmail for their corporate email address, so they're not on that that G, G Suite uh, bandwagon. Yeah, and also but, the email address is Utah Christmas Trees. Where does the Frederico yeah. come into this? Because no one can spell <laughs> Federico. Uh, or Frederico. You can't even say it. So there Fred, we go. Frederico. Frederico, I'm going to follow them on Facebook. I'm just kidding. I'm going to open their Instagram page and I'm going to leave a comment and say, your name is wrong. You should <laughs> They only have three <laughs> pictures. Hmm. Have three, and one of them, the, the picture in the middle must be Frederico. That's him. <laughs> oh, oh my God, it's you. Look at that. Standing next to a Christmas tree with a red jacket. Yeah, um, well, we found what you do during our, you know, uh, Connected usually takes the week between Christmas and New Year's is, off. And now we know what you're is, doing um, that week. This is my long lost to Utah cousin. I do uh, not know what Christmas picture you're, you're looking at right now. <laughs> We're on Instagram. You gotta, oh, you're you on their Instagram. Instagram oh, you just like yeah. went for that. There's like no messing around. Oh yeah, there you yeah. are. Look at you. Oh. <laughs> Everybody this go follow Frederico <laughs> Christmas trees on Instagram. Let's uh, let's let's blow this one out of the water. <laughs> this company is gonna have a weird few days they get a bunch of followers be nice be nice just embrace the brand 
I'm following. Why don't we order? Why don't we buy a couple of Christmas trees from this company in December? Okay. There we go. Can we'll you do buy? that. I don't th- yeah. And well, maybe we could end up on the testimonials page. Like, People mm, love us. We really say. love the trees. Just a shame about for, the name. For example, Ryan Wilkinson says, mm-hmm. I can say enough good things. Frederico's has the best trees in the country. Hands down. So, and, Hands <laughs> down. down. Yeah. Even Anonymous agrees. If you scroll, we're very happy to see that there are many. <laughs> <laughs> Frederico's Christmas trees is the official Christmas tree supplier of the Anonymous group. <laughs> wow. Oh no! Well, you know, oh. even, even hackers gotta celebrate the Christmas. I guess lives. so. Oh. I guess so, and they're very happy this, with the trees. This one testimonial says, "This is our third tree from you this season. We love the quality and freshness of your trees." Are they eating the trees? Like, why, do they, do why do you need three? <laughs> why does the freshness matter? And what I like about <laughs> this is our third means they didn't buy three at one time. They kept they came buying back. more. Hmm. Yeah. Multiple times. Well, yeah. Anonymous is a pretty big group, so I guess they've got a lot of places yeah. and that they, they have to mm-hmm. cater for, and not everybody knows everything about everyone, so it just keeps wow. uh, just keeps building up. So, um, so <sighs> the guy's name is uh, starting in 1988, mm-hmm. which is the year when I was born. Mm-hmm. Russell Frederico has been sending has been selling Christmas trees in Utah Valley. Mm. <laughs> yeah, Stephen, mm. please give us some follow up. I think the show's over. <laughs> just, <laughs> just read the ads. Just go home. <laughs> so, <laughs> last week's show, I had asked the audience and the two of you. The audience was way more helpful than the two of you, by the way. About iCloud family sharing, we well, moved to Apple Music. How could I we be helpful it. when we never used it? I know, but the audience had, so mm. they were more helpful. That's all I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. So I, our situation, I think, is very similar to many people's where we have an Apple ID that we share for purchasing, and then my wife and I each have separate iCloud accounts, and that purchasing is like a 30 email address. And it turns out the like doing the iCloud family sharing stuff was pretty straightforward. Um, I do have to thank Bradley Chambers, was very helpful, asked a lot of stupid questions, and he had just gone through this with his family. So he was able to kind of show me some stuff. So I have two links in the show notes, one to like Apple's marketing page and then one to a K-Base article that kind of walks you through it. You can totally do this where both my wife and I still have access to all of our old purchases. We can buy things on our individual IDs. We have our own separate music libraries. And I did combine our iCloud storage. So we were each paying uh, for, I think, 200 gigs a month. She was She was basically right at that limit. And so I bumped it to two terabytes for the family, and we share that now. And honestly, it was, I mean, there's some kind of back and forth a little bit. You got to go in and change settings everywhere. But once it's up and running, it's been really smooth. And so she has her Apple Music library. She has access to all of our, you know, 10 years of shared purchases, and everything's great. So totally worth the work. Hmm. Um, I, I do think Apple could make it like, it's not hard, but it is complex. Like there's a lot of different ways you can do this. And I kind of wish Apple, um, that there was more of hand-holding, I guess, on their part of walking a user through this. But um, but so far, so good. I still am really happy with Apple Music. My wife is really enjoying it. She had the, the unfortunate situation where our main iTunes library is on 
the Drobo hooked up to the Mac Mini, so she would like sync her phone with the Mac Mini under the TV because she did very little music on her laptop because it has a smaller SSD, and now she can kind of have everything on her phone that she wants regardless of what computer she's syncing to. So, so far so good in the Hackett household. Yeah, I'm pleased. I'm pleased you finally came to some kind of fix with all of that stuff. And yeah, yeah, that family sharing work for you because it seems like a horror show when you just look at it on the face of it. It seems like a really tr- yeah. tricky thing to get started. So I'm pleased. Yeah, I, I talked to David Sparks about it too. He jumped in early and I think he had a lot of heartache with it. But uh, we were talking too kind of as I was doing it. And he was like, it's way better now. Like it's they've really, um, really worked things out. Kind of the only regression, I guess, is that before when we were using a shared purchase ID, we could share in-app purchases. And again, like I'm just bypassing the whole like, is that right or wrong conversation? But now the way it's set up, we cannot share in-app purchases, which is probably more fair to developers. So I don't I don't have a problem with that. But um, that's really kind of the only main difference. Other than that, like in practice, everything just works the way it did, uh, except that we have a little more separation. So thumbs up. So iOS 11 has uh, has arrived. Um, I was going to say it's come and gone, but it hasn't gone. We are in that world now. Um, so Federico, we spoke a lot last week about your review because you were publishing it. Mm-hmm. And so just to kind of round that out, we just kind of wanted to get an idea from you as to how everything went. Did it, did you meet your expectations? Were there any uh, road bumps? Like how, how did the mm-hmm. review land with the world? Well, I didn't fully appreciate launch day this, this year because of some technical issues that we had. Mm-hmm. Um, um, the, there was a bug in the production environment on the, on the public site that we didn't expect. And so as we published the review and as thousands of people started coming in, the site began to crash, essentially. And we later realized that the problem was a really nasty bug uh, related to caching uh, in that... Basically, to spare you the technical details, the website was creating thousands of private caches, and the concept of a private cache is by itself useless, um, because the, the whole idea of a caching system is predicated on multiple people accessing right, well, the same cache. If that one person uh, decided they wanted to access it from a bunch of different oh, yeah. computers, they would have been For fine. For sure. For sure. Um, so, uh, as you can probably imagine... We can laugh about it now. We can laugh now. It was really, it was really stressful. Yeah. And, like, I, I wasn't feeling uh, physically well at all uh, because of all the stress. Yeah, I, I would agree. Like, I, I had a small part this year to play in the work. And it meant that I was very plugged in with you and the team on the day. And it was... It was it was it was real. It was real tough. It was difficult. It was because it was like this thing that you'd work for for so long, and everyone was really behind you, and then you couldn't get to enjoy the day because you were just too busy putting out fires. It was a, it was a shame. Yeah, yeah, and I was really upset because lunch day for me is the day when I get to celebrate, when I get to say it's finally done. I can relax and enjoy the feedback, uh, and 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 I miss that. This time, um, mm-hmm. at, le- at least in the first day, the second day when when we basically we fixed the problem uh, almost nine hours later. So that was you know that was problematic because a lot of the initial traffic went lost, and even if we eventually uh, regained that you know those numbers, and now we're basically on around the same goal of last year. 
uh, it was really tough for me to accept that, you know, on launch day, we're having so many issues. Uh, but the second day, I was able to fully appreciate all the feedback from readers and, you know, people who, are, who were stumbling upon the review on the site, who were listening to the audiobook. And so um, from the second day, I started feeling better about it. I apologize to everyone. You know, it's something that uh, we, should have, we should have tested beforehand and we didn't because the main problem was, uh, once again, we cut it a little too close to launch day and, uh, and I need to make sure that it doesn't happen again. Um, that said, I, you know, in terms of numbers and, uh, you know, it was worth it again, uh, thankfully, to work on a project as big as the review. Um, we were able to catch up fully over the following couple of days. Um, I'm happy with the results. I'm happy with the feedback. People seem to really appreciate, uh, you know, the review and the multiple extras that we released this time. And I was also happy with the, you know, I told you guys, I think this is the most polished review I've published to date. And in fact, the only typo that was reported to me wow. was a single image caption. Uh, and that image caption was something that Ryan didn't proofread, of course. Um, so just one image caption and just really one typo, just knowledge spelled wrong. Um, so I'm really happy with that. I'm, I'm really happy with that. It's a great uh, word to get yeah. wrong. It's a, it's a great word to get <laughs> wrong. And, but just, just one typo in, in the entire review is not a bad, not a bad record. No, um, that's not bad at all, my man. So yeah, uh, I would say uh, aside from those first uh, nine hours... I'm happy that it's done, and uh, I, um, I'm also exhausted. I don't want to think about next year right now, uh, but I'm not going to do it anyway, and I got a bunch of lessons to, that I've learned, things that I want to change, um, want to do better next year. So we'll see how it goes. Um, I remember on the, the, the show last week, I mentioned that there are a couple of differences. We were talking about a bunch of differences, right, that there are in the, the audiobook version to the written review. I've had a couple of people contact me about here and there. They've noticed one or two things. Nobody has reported to me the three differences that I can think of. I've had them all I've had them all told to me independently, but not one person has come along with all three of them. So the five mic points are still out in the world. Um, but we are able to award one mic point to Benjamin Mayo, who found the Rickroll that Federico had hidden inside of the review. Um, and I will include a link in the show notes if you want to find it yourself. Uh, but I will, congratulations, Benjamin. You are the, uh, the recipient of one mic point. Yeah. Um, just today, I saw that um, someone else on t on Twitter uh, reported the sound effect yep. that you put in there is uh, when effect. you mentioned. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, I've had I've had a few the... people mention that. I've had some people mention a couple of the things that I changed, uh, but I haven't had uh -huh. anybody come to me with the list of all three yet. So still okay. up for grabs. Uh, a whole five mic points. Five mic points still to be assigned. Mm -hmm. All right. Okay. We're talking about some yeah. real achievement. Um, the we've been talking throughout the whole month i guess this is the last time we're going to talk about this from a perspective of please give money um to the saint jude fundraiser um that we've been talking about and Stephen, would you like to share with our audience the current grand total the current total is thirty two thousand three hundred and thirteen dollars wow. which what? is wow wow incredible wow. um so a, a, a big thanks to our friends at ATP. Yep. They had a really nice segment at the top of their show last week about this. 
Uh, they were pushing people, I think at the time, to break either twenty or twenty five thousand. Um, we've blown way past that now. It, it's it's incredible. I mean, I, my wife and I are just speechless. the The community that we're a part of, for all the jokes and all the infighting about should it be called a review or should it be called a walkthrough, like all that stuff is just silly. But people, like we have a lot of good people in our community who really care about things that are important, and it, it's just. It's incredible. So thank you uh, if you've donated. And um, if you haven't, there's still time. There'll be a link in the yep. show notes. So, and then yeah, next awesome. week we, really can, we can celebrate the entire amount, right? Because it will be done. It ends – does it end the, in this week, the fundraiser? So, so the, fun, the fundraiser is open through December for okay. when the kids do their kids' marathon. But my push is in September to coincide with National Childhood uh, Cancer Awareness Month. Right. So I'll talk about it here and there, but September is really like my focus on it. So next week we'll provide kind of like the the last thank you yeah. and then we may mention it towards the end of the year maybe. Yeah. But yeah, this is good. wonderful, absolutely wonderful. Um thank you to ATP for the what they did and thank you to everybody who has uh, donated. It's amazing. Uh just before we go for our first break, we need to start doing this again. Uh question, <laughs> does Google Docs have drag and drop support yet? The answer nope. is nope. <laughs> no. Big N-O on that one. Let me tell you about a company that does care about supporting the new iOS features. That is Smile. I want to talk to you today about PDF Pen. The PDF Pen family of products, in fact. Because it's on all your devices, and there's a couple of different cool products. So PDF Pen equips you with everything that you need for more powerful PDF editing. And with the whole PDF Pen family of products, you can get everything you need to master PDFs with all of your devices with PDF Pen. And also PDF Pen Scan Plus as well, which adds scanning and OCR to your mobile toolkit. So making those dreaded tasks like scanning receipts for tax time a total breeze. You can just scan them as you go, and they get uploaded, and it's brilliant. If you already have PDF Pen for Mac OS, you will know that it is the ultimate PDF powerhouse. It is your Swiss army knife for tackling PDFs. You can take it with you on any of your devices, like a good Swiss army knife, right? It's nice and pocketable, so you can have it wherever you need it. But Swiss army knives are all about the tools that they have, and PDF Pen has all of them. You can add notes, comments, you can have cloud annotations to your PDFs, you can fill out and sign interactive forms, you can add text and graphics, make corrections. No matter what you want to do, PDF Pen has got the tools for you. And the latest release has some great new features, like the ability to reopen documents at the same window size and position as they were last closed, which I know is very important to a lot of Mac OS users. You can set custom keyboard shortcuts in PDF Pen or PDF Pen Pro, and tons more. I mentioned iOS 11, PDF Pen... Uh, three for ios is out and it has full file support and i love it so i open it now and i could just go into dropbox make the additions that i need and it does the federico is it called save in place is that what that's called when like you can update a file and it stays as it is called opening place yeah yeah and i love it right like i was fine with the way i was doing it before like importing the file and exporting it out because that's just the way that ios worked really but now I don't need to do that. Like I just open PDF Pen, I just sign on the document that I want, and it's ready to go. Absolutely incredible. See what the PDF Pen family of products can do for you. Get everything you need for more powerful PDF editing by going to smilesoftware.com slash connected. Thank you so much to PDF Pen for their and Smile, of course, for their support of this show and Relay FM. So talking about the file stuff, Federico, mm. uh, a couple of mm-hmm. things on that, I guess. One, uh, Dropbox got fully updated. There was a bit of a delay, right? But it, it did mm-hmm. get fully updated, and that's there now. Um, 
what are your thoughts on this? Does it work as you expected it to? Like, how do you feel about Dropbox file provider stuff? Um, well, as I expected, there are still a bunch of bugs that I'm supposed that I'm surprised they actually uh, made it to the public version of iOS. I, I've seen a lot of people uh, with all kinds of um, layout issues, and especially you know in, uh, the the problem with caching uh, because. Um, file provider extensions they don't uh, they're not allocated a lot of memory by the system so it's very easy to run into the problem of you're loading a large file or a folder containing thousands of files and the file provider inside of the files app um, displays a content unavailable message because it cannot load the entire contents of the folder structure uh, and also um, and I'm surprised that so many people use this feature but if you keep the passcode, the passcode um, lock, yeah. you know, in, in the Dropbox app, uh, you will you will have to disable that if you want to use the file provider extension because yeah. the files app or I don't know I'm pretty sure that it's the files app, uh, but anyway, it doesn't currently support having a passcode lock and the Dropbox extension. So yeah, I was frustrated about that. I mean, because I did it, and I know it's kind of just like, well, if they're in the device, etc., etc., etc. But like, there's so much stuff in my Dropbox account. Just having that also with Touch ID is just, I don't know, it just felt like a good thing. But I, of course, have it off now because I want to be able to use the Files app, so I have no more passcode. Yeah, um, and I was surprised that so many people uh, tweeted at me with with that problem, mm-hmm. uh, but. Overall, I would say it works pretty well. I've had no problems, like, at all. I've been perfectly fine with it. Uh, aside from the passcode and those uh, layout issues and the... the spor- I think it's a, it's not a common problem. I've just seen a few people mention it. Overall, for me, it's been working well. I was able to, for example, to open in place a document from the Dropbox file provider into... I think I was testing one writer... And so I made an edit to a text file that uh, I picked from the file extension. And that modification showed up on my iPhone and my MacBook uh, without having to do any kind of manual saving or uh, reopen the Dropbox app. It just sort of, you know, the, the, yep. the extension in the files app took care of keeping track of changes, uploading changes, and, you know, making that new version propagate across devices. Because that's what you seemed quite worried about last week, that that stuff yeah. wouldn't work. But, like, I agree with you. I've not even been thinking about it, right? Like, my, my plan was just to treat this as I want it to work and see if it does, and it does. Do you know what I mean? Like, I didn't want to be, like tiptoeing around it and you know checking oh is this open is this open like i've just been using the files that stuff as i want and i know people are putting files into folders and i'm able to just open them like it's working surprisingly well um yeah i've been really really happy with it and it is a fantastic addition for ios like i'm i'm really excited about it and like the favorites thing i really like you know i have a couple of folders that are buried within sub menus because i share folders with steven so there are like just layers upon layers of of subfolders because i know that steven's very organized uh but sometimes i want to be able to get to a folder and now i can bring it out into the favorites as if it's like on the finder and uh i love that it's very good yeah I, i was really glad to see that they brought that idea over from finder it's done in its own way here but uh, it definitely makes like navigating much faster. That was the problem. The old Dropbox app, there really wasn't You'd much of a concept. Spend of that. your entire life going Just through tapping through folders. Yeah, <laughs> and so now I'm really, really happy about that. So that that's a really great addition. Just for general, like just ease of use. So yeah, really, really good. 
But yeah. there is some weirdness yeah. in files, and a lot of it seems mm. to be springing from Google Drive. Yeah. Uh, so, a few months ago, as I was writing my files chapter, um, I posted a couple of tweets noting this problem in iOS 11, that despite the addition of a files app, there is still no good way to deal with apps that automatically open a certain file type. So on the Mac, if you if you want to open a TXT file in something else that is not TextEdit, you can right-click on the file and you can select the apps that you prefer to open that extension. Uh, that is not possible on iOS, and it's still not possible in iOS 11. And despite the fact that Apple is now, you know, they... They, su- they fully support the same UTI-based system that has worked on the Mac for decades. There still is this weird inconsistency of apps are capable of declaring a certain UTI and there's no user controls to stop this or to manage this. Yep. And case in point, Google Drive is doing some strange things <laughs> with the file types that they... That the Google Drive app, so not Google Docs, not Google Sheets, but the Google Drive app, um, I got a, uh, I received a dozens of questions from readers asking me why is it that every single time I ta- I tap on files into the files app, and instead of being shown like a quick look preview, I jump straight into the Google Drive app, and I thought, well, th- that's weird. You know, why would Google Drive open TXT files and, you know, even uh, Microsoft Office documents? And I got this question over and over over the past week, and I just couldn't figure it out. And yesterday, uh, I tweeted about this problem again, and I got a bunch of interesting replies. So apparently, the Google Drive app um, has the UTI set to public.data, which is just the most generic description of the files that you're able to receive. It's not like saying, well, I can receive TXT and I can receive Word documents and I can receive PDFs. It's just, I can receive any data. <laughs> and that's that's <laughs> the, really the most generic UTI, public.data. It means that, yes, any file that you tap, unless there's any other, uh, unless uh, other apps are, you know, taking care of those documents as the owners of those documents, like if I tap on a mind node, file it will go into the mind note app but for more common file types like txt or docx they open directly into google drive and obviously declaring public data as an uti is not the most user friendly approach on on ios um and i received this tweet from a member of the microsoft office for ios team that they reported to apple this problem of we have folks uh, saving um, Word and Excel and PowerPoint documents into files, and when they tap those documents, they jump into Google Drive instead of Microsoft Office. Mm. Now, I wonder here who's at fault, uh, because for sure Apple should come up with a with a more with a new system that allows users to to either set defaults or with a better preview. I think it's I think it's kind of absurd that when you tap on a document instead of being shown a preview, you jump straight into an app. I would much rather see a quick look preview for every document, and mm. inside that quick look preview have some shortcuts 
that say, well, you can open in place this document into these and you know these and these and these. You like I have a list of compatible apps that can open the document. Instead, right now, if you if you tap on this file on these documents, and if you have Google Drive installed, chances are really high that you're gonna jump into Google Drive and import that document. So for sure, I think Apple should have a better system. Also, Microsoft should support Open in Place, which I don't think they do, because otherwise, I believe the system would automatically jump into Word and Excel and PowerPoint. I think fault is on all sides with that, right? Like yes, and also like there's a question of. I think it's easy in this situation to look at what's going on here and like raise an eyebrow at Google and be like, mm-hmm. "What are you doing?" But then at the same time, this application is a storage app. Like, it can take every type yeah. of file, right? But I mean, so that's why it's like it's a, it's tricky because it's like, okay, Google, you should maybe be a little bit more conscious of what you're doing here. But the use case that they are putting forward is misguided but maybe not wrong right like it's like in theory you can put anything in there but i guess the argument is and and i agree with it is well unless it's already in google drive how about you just wait until i save it there right like i don't think it's the right thing to do and my hope would be that like they implemented this thought that they were doing the right thing and it isn't until it's kind of out in the wild that people recognize that it's a problem and then hopefully it will be rectified but i would say that like if the fix for microsoft is they need to support open in place well then they should be supporting open in place anyway because that is vastly better yeah exactly so i think this problem this specific problem with google drive and microsoft and files will be fixed in the near future um but the my overall sentiment here is that we should have a better system feature by apple to deal with this stuff there should be a way and i'm not going to argue in you know in favor of setting defaults for safari and mail and messages we've been over this and i don't think it'll ever happen but you know I think, uh, really, Apple should make Quick Look Preview the default screen that you see when you tap on a file. When you use the Finder and you select a file, you see a Quick Look Preview in the column view. Uh, it doesn't make sense that you tap on a file and you leave the files up and you jump into God knows what. You should see a Quick Look Preview by default. And there should be a new interface that shows you all the compatible options. So Imagine if I tap on a Word document, I'm shown a quick look preview for the document and a list of like this document is you know it's best open with microsoft word but if you want you can also open this document with these apps and there's like a list of app name app names and app icons and i can choose from them and maybe i can set the default one like i can flip a switch and say Mm -hmm. every single time i want to jump into google drive yes i think it's you know the apple is sort of treating us as we don't understand how dealing with a document into multiple apps w- works but i mean the the same company that asks uh, asks us to hey perform drag and drop with multiple hands or use the new app switcher on the ipad or here's a bunch of keyboard shortcuts i think we can deal with opening documents into different applications we just need better controls for them i do feel that like looking at what we've got here was this was an, a genuine attempt from them to create a simple system and really we weren't going to know this was a problem until everybody started supporting it so you know i see it's like a what are we going to get in later versions of ios and will this fix it 
and I hope that the answer is yes. You know, like I'm still of the mindset that like a company that would introduce files would make changes like that because you already introduced this app called Files, which is mm-hmm. incredibly nerdy and specific, right? Like it's mm-hmm. you know it already is uh, a pretty power. It's like a power user feature, so I would I would hope yeah. to see changes like that. Yeah, exactly. Just doesn't feel like the same company that on exactly. one hand they do files and keyboard shortcuts and iPad <laughs> updates, and then when you tap on a file, it just jumps out of the app and God knows where it goes. It but, just seems you know, strange. We didn't know this was happening until it until these apps were out right. there, right? Like it. So yeah. I, you know, you can try and envision it however you want, but the, maybe you just think of the utopia where everybody just tries to support the things that they should be supporting, but it's not going to work like that when you make these things public to the world. It's a little disappointing they didn't see that coming, but <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, I know. But these things happen. Mm-hmm. You spent some time with the iPhone eight in a store, right? I did. So I went to the Apple store last week, picked up my Apple Watch, which we're going to talk about in a little while. And as I like to do, spent some time with the the new phones. Of course, they're tethered to the desk, right? It's not like a, a real serious look at them. Like oh, they they still tethered to the desk. Yeah, they are. Yep. Huh. Okay. Little uh, little safety thing. So hmm. not really like what Jason's doing. Uh, upgrade yesterday. Yesterday, you guys spoke about he's got review units. It's not that. It's just sort of a uh, impressions. Um, I was really surprised off the bat how different these phones look and feel. The glass back totally changes them. They feel great. They're grippy. They are a little bit heavier. They feel denser. I think due to that glass, which is nice. And I've got to say, for the first time. Maybe ever, or maybe since like the 3G and 3GS, I think the white back looks the best. The the space gray, especially coming from the matte black iPhone 7, looks just really kind of washed out. And and the gold is just it's beautiful. It's just not for me. Uh, so I think I think silver wins uh, this time for me, which I did not. Interesting. Expect. So what is, mm-hmm. is that? Blown all your options away for the 10? I think I'm gonna do the white 10. Interesting. I think it's the the front is still black. Mm-hmm. Um, if I were going to go buy an eight or eight plus, I would do space gray for the black cover glass. But the 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 silver looks really nice on the back. It's sort of classy, like classic Apple. Like it's it's white and crisp, and the the space gray is just sort of sort of muted. This comes up every year. People always like lay out all their space gray <laughs> uh, products. Like Apple doesn't know what space gray means. It's just like not black. But not white. If it's somewhere in the middle, we call it space gray. There's lots of variations. Yeah. This is yet another variation on space gray. But what can you do? You know. Yeah, I mean, space gray is more of a state of mind than yeah. color, mm-hmm. really. I think that's. I think that's probably true. What about the gold? So the gold is is really nice. It's very very classy looking. So it is not the old gold. It's not the old rose gold. It's. I'm not even sure it's in between them. It it feels really different. So the 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 rail, the aluminum rail around the phone is much more vibrant and then the back glass is it's not really a beige, but it's it's a like sort of a sandy gold color. Uh I put a picture on Instagram, we'll put a link in the show notes. It's it's really nice. It's like I said, it's not for me, but none of the gold phones have ever been for me, but I think it I think it will do very well. If people in the store looking at the iPhone 8 and 8 plus most people were like around the gold because they wanted to see. I think they wanted to see how how it differed from the previous one. So, so yeah, there you go. Silver wins for me this this round. Um, how was the store? I mean, you were in a a store on an iPhone launch day. Was it was it crazy in there? 
it was not crazy. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I, I was I was surprised at. I mean, it was definitely busy, and it was definitely. I went like in the middle of the day, like eleven a.m. or something. Definitely busier than it would be at eleven o'clock on a weekday normally. But there was no line out the door. I there was not really even a line for the pickup. I, I kind of just walked in and got helped. I spoke to a couple people working, and you know they were like, "Yeah, it's quiet for an iPhone launch," but. Um, I think there are two things about that. A, people who buy iPhones on day one are going to buy the 10, you know, as a general rule. And so you could see where the launch of the 8 will be slower, but I think long-term the 8 and 8 Plus will sell just fine. I think lots of people are going to upgrade to them. Yeah, I've seen a lot of people that I follow on Twitter with the 8s, like it, it, more, maybe yeah. more than I expected. Yeah, in fact, I said a couple of weeks ago or last week on the show, and I regretted it as soon as I said it, and I got some email about it, and I... I I should have. I said that people who listen to the show will be buying the ten. Like clearly, that's not a hard and fast rule. The ten is a lot of money, right? All those people were mad at me. I'm sorry. Um, but what what was surprising at the Apple store is how many people were there for the Apple TV 4K. Uh, the couple employees I spoke to said that that was like a steady stream all day of people looking for the new Apple TV, and that they were selling really well, way above what the Apple TV does on a normal day. Which I think, you know, it's not surprising. A lot of people who are interested in this stuff have upgraded to 4K televisions. And this is, there's some pros and cons to the Apple TV we're going to talk about later. But overall, it's a big win. And so that makes a lot of sense to me that people were just like coming in all day to pick up Apple TVs. And um, and they said that the, the watch, you know, was busy for the watch day, that most people were buying the LTE. Again, I think the type of people who buy an Apple Watch on day one as a general rule, not a hard and fast rule, be more interested in the LTE because that, that's mm-hmm. sort of the reason to upgrade this year. So not super surprising that uh, the LTE watches are moving. In fact, the, I was I got I kind of walked in with a couple other people. Just we kind of got to the door at the same time, and they were all there for personal pickup. And the other, I think, two of them were LTE watches, and one person was an iPhone eight plus. So in the little group of people I was with, that was definitely the case. But overall, subdued for an iPhone launch. I would expect that that store will be much busier when it, whenever it is November 3rd when the iPhone 10 comes out. But I don't think, I think it's unwise at this point to judge the iPhone 8 and 8 Plus on the launch day, like feedback. Because again, the pe- people who pre order iPhones may be more inclined to, to order the new one, the 10. And, you know, what's interesting, I was thinking about this when I was in the store. A couple of years ago, Apple stopped reporting launch weekend sales for the iPhone. Uh, I think maybe with the 6S was the last time they did that, maybe even the 6, where they just said in a quarterly statement, hey, we're not going sh- to share that number anymore. And the reason they said was that that number is unfair because of supply and demand, right? That if, if mm-hmm. you sell out of everything, then that number is, is artificially capped, which is I, I can see, but I can also see that this, they knew this was coming, you know, that they were going to have a... Um, they're going to have a, a dual phone launch, and maybe it was a little bit of a safety net that if the, if they're not out at, at the same time. So, you know, we're not going to know how the 8 and 8 Plus are doing until the quarterly call, but my guess is that long-term over the year, they're going to do fine. So Even then, we're probably never going to know because they won't break down the iPhone sales. Like, no, no, you know. it'll be up to, to, to you know, uh, Horace and, and other analysts to sort of, you know, look through the ASP and kind of figure mm-hmm. it out. People smarter than me. 
who are better at Excel than I am. All right, we should talk about the Apple Watch, right? We both got them. Uh, yeah, I think so. Federico's off there in the in the, in the non Apple Watch land. We'll talk about that in a minute. <laughs> so I will say real quickly that I got a lot of questions online about is the 10 on demo at the sale and the answer at the store and the answer is no. There are no iPhone 10s mm-hmm. anywhere in the store. I didn't at least when I was there. It wasn't even on. So my my store has the new big screen in the back that the new stores have. No iPhone 10 on that even. Um, a couple people were asking about it. One person kind of at the same table I was asked if it was on demo. Um, so you cannot go see an iPhone 10 in store yet. My guess is it'll be like every other iPhone and it will be available in store if you look at on demo starting on November 3rd. But right now, if you go to an yeah. Apple store, all you'll see is the 8 and 8 Plus. So I was in an Apple store last Thursday. So the day before the products launched in London and they had posters for the 10, like all of the posters hmm. for the 10. Which I, I remember I looked at this once before. I can't remember what it was. I think it was when the Apple Watch came out. or There was a time I went to the store and they had just all posters for unreleased products, like products that weren't coming out for like weeks. And it's just always funny to see that because it's like there's – by the iPhone table, you've got all the new iPhones and then there's just this like other one just hovering over them, right? Like right. You, you can't touch me. I'm just a picture. Like it's it's very strange. Um, but yeah, they're all there. I think it was the Apple Watch actually. They had pictures of the Apple Watch um, in the stores when the iPhones came out, even though the Apple Watch didn't ship for like a month or something after that. Hmm. Um, so I find that sort of stuff peculiar choices to make, but they're the choices that they make. This episode is brought to you by FreshBooks. Hey, freelancers, you want to save some time? You know how important it is to make smart decisions for your business, and so many of those come with saving time. And FreshBooks can do just that. You can save up to 192 hours if you switch to FreshBooks because their cloud accounting software is so easy to use. They've simplified tasks like invoicing and tracking expenses and getting paid online. FreshBooks has done all of this in a way to help you save the time that you want to save to make your business run more smoothly and they even do this for not just you not just you if you switch for the 10 million people that they already have using FreshBooks who use it every day to deal with their paperwork I looked into FreshBooks this morning I was sending out some invoices and I'm always just so happy with it I don't have frustrations with FreshBooks it just works the way that I expect it to I was able to go in today and see what things I needed to deal with they have a notification center which will do that for you show you what's changed in your business and I was able to go in and see some stuff that we wanted to to bug a few people were a bit late on payments and it's really easy to get the invoices out and I was putting them into the files app and sending out emails myself but you don't have to do that if you want to you can set up automatic late payment reminders as well so you spend even less time chasing payments and more time working your magic on your business FreshBooks have over 10 million users, but it's still a small company. Forbes called them the small giant on their best small companies list this year. And there's no guessing why, because they are that cool. I love them. If you're listening to this and not using FreshBooks yet, please, please give it a go. Go to freshbooks.com connected, and you can get yourself a 30-day free trial just for you. It's unrestricted. You can go there, freshbooks.com connected. You can find out more and sign up for a 30-day free trial, no credit card required. And then when you do sign up and become a, a paying member of FreshBooks, please say that you, uh, when, they, when they ask you, how did you hear about us, say you heard about them from this very show from Connected. Thank you to FreshBooks for their support of this show. All right, so Apple Watch Series 3. Did yours show up? I know you had some uh, difficulties. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I just had some 
normal delivery problems, you know, which tends to happen uh, to basically every product that I ever have delivered to me. Uh, they just never come on the day that they're supposed to. But I spoke to the delivery people and uh, they were able to get it to me the next day. So, yeah, I've had mine since Saturday. And you have the aluminum, the gray. Is that right? Yeah. Space gray, 42 millimeter series three uh, with the olive sport band because that was the one that it came with. Sport loop, I should say. The new one. Sport loop. How was how I want to talk about that band. So this is right. a new band for this year. It's I haven't I just saw one. I have I didn't try one on. What is it? How is it shaping up? If the Milanese loop and the nylon band got drunk at a party. Oh no. Uh <laughs> the result would be the sport loop. Because it sits weirdly in between them, like so, it is a very similar idea to the Milanese loop in that it is one piece of material that you like you th- is threaded through on both sides, and then you adjust it by just pulling and fastening, and it fastens by magnets, right? But like it's infinitely adjustable to any degree because all you're doing is just tightening it around your wrist. So it's like that, but it's a nylon material, and it secures by a hook and loop mechanism. <laughs> because it's not velcro. Suspiciously not velcro. It, it is it but it isn't velcro. It's it's slight it seems different to to anything that I've used before. And I'm going to include a link in the show notes to uh Micah Sargent. He's one of the fantastic hosts of Clockwise and uh, Disruption on Relay FM. He uh, also works for iMore and he posted a really good post about this loop and he took some pictures, like some macro shots of it. And it's like this really advanced looking hook and loop system. Like it's like literal little hooks. It's a very, very cool. I just put some pictures in there and he goes into a lot of detail about this. But I would say like, okay, so here, here is the sound, right? That's what it sounds like. It's, mm. it's, it is like Velcro but way less noisy, way easier to move around. Like, it's secure, but it's not like I'm having to get help to take my watch off every day, right? Like, it's really easy to move, and it's just like Velcro, just in the, the hook and loop system. It's just in these little strips. It's like not an, the entire thing, because then it would be almost impossible to get off. Uh, I really, really like it. The The band is comfortable um something that i had to get used to and i've gotten used to it is the thickness because obviously it doubles over itself so it's different to any other watch uh, watch band that i've used because it gets thicker on one side um because i've never worn one of the milanese or anything like that uh but i really like this band a lot it's it's similar to the nylon that they've used but it's softer it's got a kind of a more soft feel and i guess this is to help with the hooking and the looping uh so yeah i'm really pleased with it there are some other colors that are better than the one that i have um and so i'm probably going to invest in maybe the black one because the black one is deceiving the black one has a bunch of color in it uh which i think looks really cool i'm not 100 percent sure why they called it black because it's got like little rainbow thread in it which looks kind of cool so that's probably going to be the one that i get although the pink one is also pretty good looking too so yeah big fan of that uh, big thumbs up from me i ordered the 42 millimeter stainless steel and it came with a off white sport band which i quickly replaced for my regular white sport band um i had uh the original apple watch in stainless steel my Series 2 was a Nike Plus aluminum, uh, the dark, like, like you've got. And I decided to go back to the stainless steel. The It is heavier, 
but I love the way it looks. I like the way that it ages. Stainless steel kind of gets all nicked up, and it, I, I like the way it looks um, over time. And I feel like the the red digital crown looks – it really looks the best on the white ceramic, but I'm not spending $1,300 on an Apple Watch. So the second best place it looks, I think, uh, to me, to my eye, is the stainless steel. So I've been – I've been happy to be back in that world. I had forgotten that the Taptics, the Taptic motor isn't as pronounced, I guess, on the stainless steel. I think because the watch is heavier, it's got more to move. And so I, I turned back on the, uh, what do they call it? Like prominent? The, the, yeah, the prominent uh, haptic. Yeah, I actually had to turn that off. I think the Taptic motor is stronger in the Series 3 in the aluminium. I've always had the prominent haptics on. But I feel mm-hmm. like my arm is shaking off the table every time one of those things hits. <laughs> it is incredibly strong. Um, so mm. I, I have actually turned it off. And I don't know if maybe just like over time my tactic motor got weaker. Um, but I had it on. I turned on. I turned it on as I had it before. And it was like, wow, that is way stronger. So I've actually turned the uh, the prominent one off. Uh, I might turn it back on. But for now, I'm, I'm leaving it off, I think, and seeing how I go with, without it. Mm. And it's, I mean, I'm not, I don't feel like I'm missing anything. So. The red yeah. crown, I will say, I don't see it, right? Like, I really, in the way that, I mean, I wear my watch with the digital crown on the right-hand side when I look at the watch face on my left arm, right? So, the crown is very rarely in my vision, like, th- that, the kind right. of the red part of it. Um, so, I kind of don't care about it now because I don't see it. And I didn't, I didn't hate it before. I don't love it. Um, but I'm kind of okay with it because honestly, I never see it. So I, I kind of feel the same way. I, I don't, I don't see it. I wear mine the same way you do. Um, I do feel like I've got one band. I have like, they don't make it anymore, but they used to make a sport band in like Hunter safety orange, which I, I love that band. That band does not look good with the red, mm. but you know, my other ones, I've got this white one. I've got, a black one. I've got a black Nike Plus one. Um, I have the black and gray nylon one. All those are fine. But some of the colored sport bands, I think you may have a problem with. But like you said, I don't see it very often. Um, I do feel like my problems with it are more sort of, I just don't care for the the little indication that I bought the LTE one. Yeah, like, that's all it is. Really it's not functional. I don't really know why they chose red either. Like, so... Red, I, I'm not gonna get. I'm not gonna go too far into the details because I've read this a couple of days ago. But my understanding is that red has been used on high end watches as as a status symbol or as a an indication of a special edition or mm. some sort of fancy option, like over time, like that. That's sort of a, a mark in the the watch world, and and maybe Apple is just trying to crib that a little bit and, and sort of step into that world, but um. You know, it's fine. I th- it's not a deal breaker. Like, it's weird, right? I wouldn't be shocked if it, if at some point it just quietly goes away and, and the Series 4, you know, either goes back to the black or gives it an option. Uh, I just don't like that it, if if you know what you're looking for, it stands out that it's an LTE watch. And that, that I just don't like that status attachment to it. But it's, it's not a big deal. Um, overall, though, I've been... Uh, I've been very happy with the watch. The setup was incredibly fast to move my back up to it. Uh, watch OS 4 does this clever thing like iOS does where it does your restore and then it moves your apps over in the background. So like 
the restore for backup took like seven minutes on my watch. And then it took, you know, maybe another 25 minutes for all the apps to move over. Mm-hmm. And like slowly, like my third party complications just started showing up again. But that all went really smoothly. And it really is incredible how much faster this watch is than even the Series 2. I mean, side by side, it, it feels like when we went from the, the original to Series 1 and 2, it feels like that again to me. Um, it, it really is noticeably faster. I'm just jealous right now. Like, I really want to get this watch. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry, Federico. I, I know you're being left out of this, and there's only really more to <laughs> talk about. So, like, you know, I, I, maybe we can just... Maybe you can live vicariously through us. I'm not sure. Uh, it's fine. Maybe. It's fine. I'm re- I'm really curious to know how it works. Um, I just thought it was funny that this morning uh, the I got an email from the Italian Apple store saying, hey, come check out the new Apple Watch. I was like, yeah... Do why are you sending me this email right now? I really want to buy the cellular version, which you don't have. Uh, yeah, I I want to know how it works. So please continue. Don't mind me. Yeah, so I can speak to my experience in setting it up. I have an AT and T account, and I go you know set up the watch in the watch app in the setup. It says, hey, do you want to set up LTE? You can totally skip it. So you can buy this watch if it's available in your country, if you're not Federico, and just enable LTE later, like you can on an iPad, which is pretty cool that you're not set. You don't have to do it during setup, but I, I wanted to do it. Uh, it loaded a, a in-app browser. It brought me to the AT&T website. There was no way to enter my one password information, which was annoying. Signed into the AT&T mobile website finally. And basically it said, hey, it's 10 bucks a month to add this to your plan via what AT&T calls number sync, which is, I think, just their brand of the watch and phone number, the watch and the iPhone share a phone number. So it's 10 bucks a month to add to my plan. Of course, it gave me the opportunity just to review my plan and I didn't change anything else. It took just a couple of minutes. You know, I hit save on that. The in-app browser went away and I got an a, a email and a text from AT&T maybe like two or three minutes later saying that it was finished. It was very seamless to get it set up and added to my account. Uh, what about you, Mike? Was it pretty similar for you? Pretty much the exact same experience, um, but I was surprised by the deal that I was given. Um, th- there's only one network in the UK that is supporting the Series 3 of LTE, um, which I'm sure is going to leave a lot of people disappointed, especially if they bought the watch and they didn't even know about it, um, which I know people that have done that. And uh, I was told that I was going to get this f- for free for six months. Like, it's just free. And then after that period, I can pay uh, £5 a month to get 10 gigabytes of data for the watch, specifically. Which seems like a really good plan, um, especially for that amount of money. I'm pretty happy with that. But I don't have to use it. I can cancel it at any time. Um, it's not, it's not, there's no minimum fixed term on it. But they do kind of... Our network here does seem to kind of set it up as an individual device. Um, I think it still does all of the phone ringing and stuff like that. But that's all fine. But they do kind of treat it as a separate data pool, um, I, I believe. is how At least it's how they're presenting it right now. So, But I don't care because I got it for free for six months. So it's great for yeah. me. Yeah. So, yeah, so, I mean, the setup was easy. I have spent some time with it just on Sailor. So uh, last night, 
the end of the workday, I went for a bike ride. I had I had my phone with me so I could take notes, but my my iPhone was in airplane mode. It was not connected to the watch. The watch was on cellular. So I was gone for a total of about half an hour, and I saw the battery decrease from 94% when I left to be at uh, 80% when I got back. That's with LTE on. That's with a bike workout. And... Uh, that is with music streaming on AirPods for part of the time. So it it is a noticeable hit to battery if you have cellular on. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. I, I think it's one of those things that you're going to turn on when you need it. And most of the time when you don't need it, you're going to leave it off. On Apple's battery page for the Apple Watch, there'll be a link in the show notes. In the workout section... They say up to 10 hours of indoor workout, up to five hours outdoor workout with GPS, which the bike workout engages, up to four hours of outdoor workout with GPS and LTE. So it's not it's not a big break from GPS to, to add the LTE. It's just you're just going to cost you another hour overall. But it, did, it does drain faster than it, it would uh, otherwise. So I think for me, I'm going to leave it off. And then, you know, those times when I go for a bike ride or a run and I want it, I'll turn it on. Because other than that, other than those times, my phone is with me. I'm at home or I'm in the office. You know, I've got Wi-Fi. Um, and so I think I'm going to just deploy it when I when I need it. I think I think that's really what it's designed to do. It is in the little weird watchOS control center to turn cellular on and off very easily. And, you know, like I said, most of the time you don't need it, but it's there when you do. So... You know, I, I was a little surprised at the battery fall off, and then I, I realized that it was very much in line with what Apple said. And I think it's, uh, I think it's fine. You know, the watch didn't get warm; it didn't act strangely on cellular. Like it, it yeah. worked as expected. Now I'm, I should say, you know, I was riding through a residential area, so I didn't have the. There's a, a bug right now in WatchOS where the watch will try to join a wireless network, but if it, it presents a login screen. Obviously, the watch can't do that. But it tries to stay connected, though, which is yeah. the problem. Yeah, It falls into this, like, black hole and it can't come out of. I'm not going to run into that riding around my neighborhood, right? But um, but it was totally fine. Like, it worked as expected. Like I said, didn't even get warm. Like, uh, it's very well integrated. Uh, it, it basically worked as if my phone was there, even when the phone wasn't. So I was I was pretty impressed in my sort of early testing. Yeah, I haven't done anything nearly as advanced as you. I just have been in my house and turned on airplane <laughs> mode, right? Like that's kind of the extent to, to what I've tried just to confirm that it works and it does. Um, I haven't really concocted any experiments yet. I'm just trying to see if and where I will be happy to use it. Um, and I'm I'm kind of just like working through that right now. I, I've, I have it. It's there if I need it. As I say, right now it's free for me. So like I'm not really feeling like I'm wasting money. So I'm cool with it. I'm happy with the watch. Like it's faster. Siri works pretty well, even though I don't really use Siri on the watch. I don't think I'm going to, even though it's better. Um, it's just not really a way that I use that I like I interact with my watch. Um, but I'm noticing everything feels faster. Animations are smoother. Just general performance is better. Um, it, it is much, much nicer. I want to talk about watchOS 4 a little bit though, because okay. they're kind of going hand in hand for me. I want to talk about the Siri face. So this is one of the big advancements of watchOS 4, this like timeline interface that 
either Apple had simultaneous creation with Pebble or just completely 100% ripped them off because this was this was Pebble's <laughs> thing, right? The timeline interface. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, make it that what you will. But it's basically a watch face which gives you a bunch of information. There are some data sources you can pull in, stuff like weather, calendar events, sunrise, there's activity stuff, audio playing. Um, there's some photo memory stuff in there as well. I've been using this, and I think I'm going to keep using it. Um, I think I actually quite like this watch face. You can only put two complications in. I really wish I could just put one more, just one more, and I would be happy. Um, But I actually do really like the information that it's showing me. Like, I can look at it right now. I can see when sunset is. No, I would never typically care. I'm never going to seek that information out because I don't really care. But to know is kind of nice. It's like, it's like, oh, okay, like, fine. It's not really hurting me, but I wouldn't have looked for it, but I know. I've got my calendar events. I have some photo memories, and I can see what the weather's going to be like tomorrow, and, and I can scroll back up, and I can see stuff that I've completed today. And also what I like, the uh, if you've been listening to audio and you scroll back up, you can, like, reopen Overcast or whatever if, if it's been, like, within a pretty long period of time. Like, that kind of stays quite persistent there. Um I like the photo memories that it shows. I never look at the memories feature in photos, um, but but I like that they're popping up on the watch. Right now, I just have a picture of Casey Liss's face on my watch, which is nice because it's <laughs> showing me, for a reason that I can't fully understand, um, it's showing me WWDC photos, mm. which Apple has worked out that it was WWDC in this memory. They have They know, which I think is really impressive. It just says the memory is called Apple WWDC 17. Really? It just worked that out on its own. Are you sure you didn't create an album or something? I don't create albums. How is that possible? Unless I've got some kind of shared photo stream, but I don't think I have. Uh, are, are you sure? I'm not sure yeah. there's the intelligence I, I, to detect. I literally the- have a memory in the Photos app called Apple WWDC 17. It's a memory. Hmm. Hmm. I wonder if they're, if they're doing some recognition on some logos, maybe, like by combining the location and the photos of the pins or the jacket or something. Well, I just assumed that they would look at the fact that I don't live in San Jose. I'm in San Jose during the exact period of time that WWDC is going on. And it yeah, is- but that's a bird. Pretty broad assumption. Like, what if I live in Rome and I just happen to take a vacation in San Jose during the week of June? Am I going to WWDC? No, I'm maybe not. they're using detection on the building, right? Like, I take yeah, that's what of the I, that's what I was going for. I think they're doing some of that. If it really is an intelligent uh, suggestion, although I think that's what they're doing. The photos don't have any pictures of the building in. They're basically just pictures of the meetup that <laughs> we had. How did this happen? I don't know, but it's created it. Um, that's so it's did it's done that. Oh, uh, if you downloaded those photos, the, um, I may have tagged them as that in like Google Photos. Maybe it's in the metadata, or maybe no, it just there's, knows there's also Casey pictures that I took. There's also yeah. just pictures mm-hmm. that I took uh, of the ATP thing, which you weren't even at. So, uh, I mm. it, it's definitely stuff like it's working out on its own. Uh, yeah, I'm not. It's because Casey was there. Yeah. Just, so basically, my watch just has a picture of Casey on it right now, which is awesome. I'm very happy about that. Um, and yeah, I like it. I wish I could integrate third party data because one of the complications that I've kept is the carrot weather complication because I really like the complication. But I also get weather information on the Siri face. Uh, and so I would really like to be able to just have carrot weather in here in the Siri face as opposed to Apple's weather. So I hope that in the future, 
third parties can have their information in this, that would be good. Um, I would like that. Um, I've also tried the kaleidoscope face as well. I have thoughts about that. I think that it's silly and kind of funny. And I, whilst I would never use it for my watch face, I have left it as an enabled watch face that I can play with. <laughs> One thing I, I do like about it, I can't believe I'm defending this. <laughs> What's really nice so that you have. You guys just don't understand. <laughs> you just don't understand how awesome it is. Uh, you have three patterns, and then each pattern has a bunch of colors you can choose from. What's really pretty pretty nice about this is if you scroll through it so when it's you know it's your regular watch face and you turn the digital crown the kaleidoscope moves so the little little patterns move around and it the color of the complications will shift to match the overall color of That's the cool. kaleidoscope so if that it's, is cool if it's yellowy you know the complications are yellow and then as i turn this one it becomes more red complications become red it's a nice little touch. It is, um, I agree with you, it is really silly. But it's kind of impressive how smooth, I mean, I can turn this digital, digital crown as fast as I can, and there's no lag. It really keeps also, up. Also, it's got some, like, um, kinetic energy to it. Like, if you spin the crown really fast and let go, the, the kaleidoscope keeps moving and slows down. It's nicely done. It's nicely animated. It and I like it because I have it here and I can play with it. And I put a funny picture in there, and I try and just see what i can do to make the picture look weird so um i, I it's i'm never going to use this as my general watch face but no. i am keeping it enabled as a thing to play with because i kind of miss time travel but don't want to enable it again if that makes sense like i miss that i could spin the digital crown and something happened but i don't want to have time travel back i know you can turn it on if you want to but it, so i like that i if i want to just play with a digital crown and watch something happen i can do that now just by swiping over to the kaleidoscope face Hmm. Um, the new dock so I both like and don't like the new dock and I know I know, I don't like it for the reason that Federico I think didn't like it because you actually see less there is less information you can't see the full apps anymore but it makes logical sense to me that scrolling up and down moves cards up and down rather than left and right so I miss the kind of full screen previews that they have but I, I think it's a logical decision yeah, I'm I'm a bit torn on this one, honestly, because I feel like it's taken me way longer to get to what I want when I'm going into the dock than it did before because it kind of has to move the entire card. It's a bit weird, um, but I like the logical sense of it, but I just I miss I miss the full screen previews of it. One thing I, I, I am glad they've gotten rid of, or it's an option, if you force touch, press, deep hold on the honeycomb, you can set that to be an alphabetical list. And then the digital crown scrolls through that list. I did that instantly, and it's way better than that. Took me multiple minutes, multiple minutes to work out how to do that. Because why are there some settings in the watch app and some settings on the watch? Like mind-boggling to me. That whole situation is yeah. I looked through the watch app forever to find it, and I was like, let me just go try to force touch on the honeycomb itself. That that's something they could do better. There's still so much that you can only do. In the watch app on the phone, there's some stuff you just can't do. It's only on the watch, and there's stuff there's both places. That feels like a, like a, they built a framework, and, and they've it's the waters have gotten muddy over time with what's done where. Mm-hmm. But you know that's not a huge complaint, but it's something I th- I'd like to see them tidy up at some point. 
the new activity notifications are making me feel more guilty, which probably means that they're working pretty well. Like, the language of them is pretty good, you know? Like, hey, go and do this thing, or like, you've done well so far, keep it up. And I'm like, oh, but I'm in my pajamas now, so don't think I'm gonna. Um, so, but they're good. I like the new animations as well, like the kind of firework Catherine Wheel type situation they've got going on when you complete a ring it's already good oh and the timer ui is so much better so much better um when you're setting a custom timer now you don't have to try and scroll around this just incredibly difficult to set wheel you can actually just scroll through like lists of numbers they just have like hours minutes and finally seconds that you can choose from in the timer ui so much better really big fan of the timer ui uh love it thank you for improving that whoever is responsible for improving that so yeah it's good overall i'm pretty happy with it and uh i like watch os4 i like the new apple watch i feel like it's all moving together it's all i want to see more third-party stuff everywhere though i want to see more apps that can pull data from the cloud stuff like that because there's just a bunch of apps when you're on lte they can't do anything um i want to see more stuff I actually want to see third-party apps integrated into the Siri face because I think that it is a real good home and, like, would, I think, for me, become the only way that I interacted with the watch. Like, that would be it, most likely, if I just had all my third parties in there. I wouldn't really have to do much else. So, yeah, I think that is a good combo. All right, this week's episode is brought to you by our friends at Encapsula. They have the website security tools and content delivery network to make any website safer, faster, and more reliable. And it's so easy to get started. You just make a small change to your DNS and you'll be ready to roll with Encapsula. They are ready to go when you are. They're just waiting in the wings, just waiting for that moment when you just make that small change and then they can jump into action with their 30 data centers and 3 terabits of bandwidth. And what's that going to do for you? It's going to keep bad guys away from your website. If you have any problems, if anybody tries to hit you with a denial of service attack, you're never going to see it. It's never going to hit your servers because of Encapsula's amazing network. They will also be caching your content and optimizing connections all at the same time using their powerful CDN so your users will get your content lightning fast. And to keep your mind at ease, you get a live traffic view of your site on Encapsula's dashboard with the ability to also create custom rules to meet your exact needs as well. As a listener of this show, you can get one whole month of service free. Just go to Encapsula.com connected. That's I-N-C-A-P-S-U-L-A.com connected this is where you'll find out more about encapsula service and claim your free month as well thank you so much to encapsula for their support of this show and relay fm so steven you've written a review of uh mac os high sierra and uh i assume we should cede the floor to give you some a couple of minutes <laughs> i guess a couple of minutes to talk about high sierra hmm? a couple of minutes we're gonna talk about high sierra for the last time that we talked about the kaleidoscope watch face <laughs> what <laughs> i know i know the two of you would be fine with that i would argue that the Mac more technology users. more effort went into the kaleidoscope face than oh. high sierra <laughs> oh. oh no just, just uh. my <laughs> i did write a review i'm really sorry i'm really sorry no you're not uh i did <laughs> i did write a review it is my Fifth or sixth macOS review, I started with Mountain Lion. It's 9,300 words, which if you had told me in July how long my high Sierra review would have been, I would have guessed about 4,000. But, you know, these things happen. Uh, as Federico and others can attest to, sometimes you get into a project and there's a lot more to do um, yeah. than you think. Mm. I Usually how I do these reviews 
is I kind of have an outline and I basically start at the beginning and work my way through it. This time though, you know, Federico, watching you do your iOS reviews the last couple of years, being engaged in that process, you know, the three of us, you know, we, we talk about your review all summer. We kind of are, are kind of in it with you to a degree. And, and so I decided to, to kind of look at your workflow and see what out of that workflow made sense for me. And so this is really the first big review I've done where I, I basically treated each section as its own piece of work. Mm-hmm. And that's very unlike how I write normally. It's very unlike how I think normally, but it was kind of nice. I was like, hey, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to work on APFS this week. And you don't have to worry about the rest of the review this week, Stephen, just work on APFS. And that was really difficult for me to get into, but I think one reason I, I think is 9,300 words is because of that, uh, that <laughs> I, I kind of just dealt with it yeah. one thing at a time. It's a bunch of mini reviews, it, right? As opposed to like yeah. one big overarching idea. Right. And, you know, I don't, I don't have the fancy navigation stuff Federico did, but I, I think I could, I think I could have broken this down into, Hey, if you just want to read this one section, here it is. Um, my site doesn't have any of the fanciness Mac stories has, so it's just one long markdown document. But uh, I think it, I think it could have worked that way, and and it was a refreshing way to think about it. And I think it helped me do this. Like there was no crunch time for this. This review has been done for a couple of weeks. You know, I added one little section yesterday at publication time, but it's been edited for a while. It was a very relaxed process, which the unlike the Sierra review, but especially the Mavericks review. I was finishing the night before and that was not the case this time. It was basically ready to go with a few days, maybe even almost a week's notice, which was, um, was really nice. If I could have published the iPhone keynote date if I needed to, um, it benefited from the extra time, but I had something ready to go that day, which is a first for me. I struggle with this a little bit with high Sierra, um, for a couple of reasons. I mean, mm-hmm. One, I am just less personally invested in macOS and its advancements. Um, Sure. One, because, you know, I I am more of an iOS-focused person now. And the other is, like, just out of a a, a principal point of safety, I don't upgrade macOS, like, immediately because I feel like my entire technology stack is a house of cards because every time I do update macOS, a new issue is brought in that, and they just like they just compound on top of each other and they're never fixed. And it all tends to be around USB audio. So like I try and stay away. They from, really broke that last year really badly. And it's just like it won't get any better, and I'm just terrified that it's going to get worse. Right. So like I try mm-hmm. and stay away from it. But then compounded with all of this is the fact that like this is an unexciting release of mac os like it is there is a lot of stuff going on in the background but it's stuff that is mostly uninteresting um if i want to get safari i can already get it i can run it and i wouldn't personally okay like you can you can tell me why i'm wrong on this but i do not want to upgrade to apfs right now like i just don't want to do it right now i feel like that i would honestly just prefer it to shake out a little bit longer before just 
upgrading and automatically having my drive turned over to a new file system. It feels inherently more risky to do this on macOS than on iOS. You can tell me if I'm wrong, but like that's just how I come to this. I'm just I'm scared of APFS on my Mac right now. I mean, you're you're in the situation where same as me, where our iMacs are our production machines. Mm-hmm. That if this iMac explodes, I can't do my job, and that's bad for a bunch of obvious reasons. Yeah. It's like it it's always multiple thousands of dollars either lost time and then replacement of equipment. Right? Like I just don't want to go near that. Yeah. Well well nothing could go so bad that you have to replace anything, but it could go south and you're spending a day reformatting your SSD and reinstalling and yeah. then restoring for time machine. So yeah, I understand that. And I think that I think that's reasonable. And I think that even though High Sierra on the surface is not as flashy as previous macOS updates, that behind the scenes stuff is way more serious than in previous years. Because yeah, if your file system is something hiccups in that in that conversion process, your disk is left in a state where you have to reformat it, and that's that's bad. Um, yeah, you don't that's a bad, bad somebody, state, somebody right. I follow on Twitter right now is dealing with that, so I get it. But um. At least for me, having done the conversion a bunch of times, my poor MacBook Pro guys, like, you know, this summer we were we were sort of sad for Federico's iPads because he was just wiping them and reinstalling iOS 11 over and over. That was me this summer with my laptop. There were several times where it just didn't have an OS on it for a while. But um, yeah, I think if you are on a production machine, you should always wait on a major version of Mac OS. You know, especially because the APFS, we're going to talk about APFS in a second, but the conversion is mandatory on an SSD. There's no checkbox to get out of it. There's no secret terminal command to avoid it. It is what happens when you hit the upgrade button, if you have an SSD. So something to think about for sure. So I I think the features of High Sierra break into four, maybe five big categories. You have Safari 11, which, Mike, as you mentioned, is available on Sierra and LCAP. Mm-hmm. It does a bunch of great stuff. You can have reader mode engaged automatically. It has the autoplay you know, video and audio stuff. You can disable that. Yep. You can disable it permanently uh, across sites. So like my, the example I use in my review, my local newspaper website is garbage. And they have autoplay video on everything, every single page. And you can turn all of it off in Safari 11, so that that's great. But Safari 11 is probably the most for the most user facing feature. But again, you can run it on Sierra, and it's it's just fine. So that's um, it's good. It's faster, more secure. They're doing this cross browser tracking prevention or cross mm-hmm. session uh, tracking stuff. So if you look at a box of cereal on Amazon. And you go on Facebook and you see Amazon ads for that box of cereal. That's because there's a little cookie on your disk that says, hey, Steven looked at this box of cereal. Show him ads again. And Apple is looking for those cookies on your disk and getting rid of them. Um, It's all very clever. It will hurt some types of online advertising, but it's not an ad blocker. Um, Can I just say, like, I don't know if I need or want Apple to do that for me. hmm. Like, because what am I going to see? I'm going to see Amazon ads for stuff I don't care about right? Like, that's what I'm going to see instead. I don't see no ad. I just see an Amazon ad or, like, an ad that is less relevant to me. Like, I understand why people get upset about tracking. I get it. Like, I totally get it. Mm -hmm. But 
there is a part of me that's kind of just like, well, I'm going to see the ads anyway, because I don't run ad blockers. So I may as well see ads for other Nintendo Switch products because I look at Nintendo Switch a bunch, as opposed to like, what, a handbag or like face cream mm-hmm. or mm. a chainsaw? Like, what am I going to see mm-hmm. otherwise? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? You know, I, yeah. Like, I know that this is not popular and I'm not in any way advocating for more tracking or, you know, <laughs> these practices. But Just light I, tracking. I, I am, <laughs> Like, I have a confession, and that is, I sometimes click on the ads and buy stuff. Yes, I like, buy stuff from Instagram ads, like, quite yeah. a lot. <laughs> like, it happens to me. Yeah, like, like the system works in the sense that I generally see, like, Amazon ads for Amiibo stuff or... Um, yep. Nintendo games or on Instagram lately I've been getting like some custom uh, some ads for custom made Metroid prints and little statues and it's because the system knows me and Mm -hmm. yes it is creepy but uh, man those Metroid statues are looking great and there are even parts where I'm like how creepy is it I know how this works right there isn't there isn't a little person writing stuff down like I know how this works, right? I know if I go and look at something on Amazon, Amazon can serve me ads. Like, I understand how this works. Sometimes it's surprising, like, when you see it in a place you don't expect. But creepy is a word for this stuff I think is thrown around a lot. And, Stephen, I'm so sorry about the email you're going to get. But, like, I just, you know, it feels a bit heavy-handed for me for Apple to be like, we're going to stop that. Like, I get some of the stuff that you might want to stop people tracking, you know, like tracking sessions for too long, and, and I get that there's an element of it, but, like, the ad stuff, it's like, I don't I don't know. I just feel like it, it's a little bit it's a little bit heavy-handed. Is this stuff on by default? Uh, it is, I believe. Uh, I think yeah. so, yeah. It's heavy. It's a bit... I find it too heavy-handed. Um, I, I think that there... You know, if I go to a website... Like uh, we'll call like we'll call Smudge, right, or something. The Smudge, mm. and there's twenty <laughs> trackers. It's like it's too many, right? Like there mm-hmm. there can be too much of this stuff. I get that, but I I feel like a blanket on and off switch for all of it is maybe a little bit too much. And I I don't know how I feel about Apple asserting themselves as deciding what's right and wrong in the world. I don't know how I feel about that. That's that's my it- point, which I think is. Most people are going to disagree with me, and I'm fine with that. It does feel like an oddly specific thing to do. <laughs> you know, like, this is the uh, one thing they really harp on in Safari 11, but there's lots of other stuff you could do on the browser that make it more secure. Yeah. But I agree with you. It's, 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 um, it's you know what? surprising to see him do it. You know what's also kind of strange? And by strange, I mean surprising, and also... I'm not sure I feel how I feel about it. I think I like it, but I see some potential problems of Apple using differential privacy to understand what websites are being slow and causing performance issues in for people's browsers. And apparently Apple is going to collect this data and they're going to understand which websites are problematic and they're going to get in touch with the yeah, owners of the so websites. Weird. It's and so weird. Like, like, should you expect an email from Tim Cook saying, hey, make <laughs> hey, your damn website faster? The smudge like, loads so slowly. <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's it's kind of a cool service, I guess, if they, like if they know and maybe you don't know, but it's really weird that they're doing this. It just is like... 
does the Safari team have nothing else to do? Like, why are they emailing websites? It's all of it is like, okay, like, if you want this stuff, and I know a lot of people that do really want this stuff, and that's great, but it's like, it's also just like, are you the right company to do this? Like, is this what you do now? It's just weird, right? Like, th- some of these Safari features are weird. Like, the um the autoplay video one, yes, right? Nobody wants that. No one likes that. It's no. good for no one, right? Like, that's really great. Um, trying to limit and understand what I'm being tracked is fine, but I feel like there is a level that should be okay. And, like, the idea of, like, <laughs> trying to feel like you're helping out the internet by telling people how fast their websites are is, like, a strange proposition. Yeah. I mean, Google does that, but you're not going to get an email from them, right? Like, they have tools available to you to go see what's going on, but they're not going to get in touch. Yeah, I mean, well, they may, like, de-rank you in search, right? Which I guess may be worse. I don't know if they do that. So that's Safari. Like I said, all that stuff is available to Sierra. Photos, I think, is is right there with Safari as far as front-facing you know, user-facing features this year. Faces, the UI is much better. It is doing the same thing that iOS 11 is doing, where if you... So you go and identify faces, pictures that you tell it, hey, this is a picture of Mike, that gets synced up to everywhere. Uh, d- your other devices are still doing face search on their own, like the, like the object detection uh, from a couple of years ago. But now faces... The, the pictures that you say, hey, this is Mike, those get synced around. And those those things that you manually select are used to train the other devices. In practice, it works just as well as object detection. Mm-hmm. I feel like the my faces database on my iMac, or on my MacBook Pro, I should say, is very similar to my iOS 11 devices, if not identical. I would, yes, I would like it to sync everything like perfectly, but it is way better than it was. You may have some rough edges here and there, but for me, at least, for the first time since the iPhoto days, I have invested some time in selecting and setting up huh. faces. Because when it didn't sync at all, I just didn't care, right? Because I wanted it everywhere. Because it's but a now, waste of with, time, right? Like, it's just, yeah, I'm just, it totally like I'm just wasting my time. Like, unless I want to triple my time. And then, like, forever infinity, right? Like, every device I ever buy, I have to do this again. Like, yeah, that's it. It was a waste of time to do that before. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but now it, it is much better. You have some more sorting options. The sidebar is permanently there, which some people on Twitter were freaking out about yesterday, but it, I like it. I left it on. Things are regrouped. Basically, it's just easier to get to what you want in photos. I think Apple realized that there are a lot of people like Mike who don't do albums or just sort of use search or just use filtering. And so all of that stuff now is better to surface things within your photos library. As these libraries get bigger, that's harder to do, and they've given us new tools to do it. And then lastly, the editing tools are way better. You get curves, you get some more advanced stuff. You can now, well, once third-party developers support it, you can edit an image from your photo library in an external application and then save it back to photos. That was in the iPhoto days, but it's been missing for a long time. That's come back. And, and and you have those those same live photo effects that you have on iOS 11. So with photos in particular, that's a that's a platform and a group of apps that Apple tries very hard to keep in sync between iOS 11 and the Mac. The only difference is the Mac gets better editing tools, and that continues to be the case case this year. So if you're a big photos user, you're going to see some nice improvements with with High Sierra, which I think is great. 
you have, I don't know, like I sort of skipped this a little bit in my review. I sort of punted it a little bit like metal two and eGPU support. That's great if you're doing VR stuff or if you're gaming on the Mac eGPU support is not coming to the public until I think early next year is what Apple has said. So it's yeah, kinda... I mean, it being great is all in theory, right? Like, yeah. there's nothing. So it's like in theory, possibly at some point in the future, it might be good for you. Um, but it's not. I mean, this is one of the other things. It's like, oh, it has, Hi Sierra adds all this stuff. It's like, yeah, but like not for me though, right? <laughs> like the the support is there, but there are no games, and my hardware isn't good enough. So it's like, okay, maybe at some point in the future. Like this is the thing about High Sierra. It's like this underpinning stuff, which is doesn't make right. for an exciting release. Can you remind me? Did you have to pay for Snow Leopard? It was twenty nine dollars, uh, down from I guess ninety nine. I think is what yeah. client cost up to that. So it was way cheaper. Was that yes. considered a good deal? At the time? It was. Okay. People were yeah, freaking out about yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. People were super excited about the price drop. Yeah, I don't remember. Yeah. I, I remember the price. I remember the price going down, but I didn't. It, know was, it was the last. Thing. I think it was the last. Um, maybe Mountain Lion was the first free one, but Snowlopper was definitely there at the end. I think Mountain Lion was free because it was weird, right? Wasn't that the first App Store one? And like, you had to get those weird USB keys. I think Lion Lion was the first in the App Store, and I think it was still twenty nine dollars. And the Mountain okay. Lion. Mountain Lion was weird too because there was no keynote. They just met John Gruber in a hotel room and talked about Mountain Lion. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> remember that, remember that, that weird thing? That was great. Uh, I remember when <laughs> I was when the news broke. Like, that was fun. That was a fun day. It was a fun day. Uh, so, I mean, now we move to the under the hood stuff. You have APFS, which we talked about. The new file system is mandatory and <laughs> happens automatically if you are on SSD. If you are on a fusion drive or, God forbid, a spinning hard drive, you are not converted and you can't manually convert. And so this changed over the summer. Initially, it's all going to be, well, initially in the first dev beta, it was an optional convert. And then everything got converted automatically. And then you could not, then fusion drives were not automatically done, but you could manually do it. And then the very last minute, Apple said, Fusion drives on APFS are not supported in High Sierra version, you know, 10.13.0, not supported at launch. If you had converted a Fusion drive in the beta process, you had to unconvert it, which basically means reformatting it, back to HFS Plus to boot the App Store version of High Sierra. Something happened here. And I've heard a couple things. I'm not sure how truthful any of them are. But obviously something has gone wrong with APFS and spinning hard drives, whether it was a conversion failure rate. This is why I'm took... nervous because. But you have an SSD. Going... Nothing no, to be nervous about. Things were going wrong, though, right? Like they thought they had it right. And then On during spinning the beta discs. Yeah, but, but then, and the beta period, it was like, oh, it's not how. Yeah, just that uncertainty makes me feel uncomfortable. Yeah, but it's uncertainty with your neighbor's computer, not your computer. You don't know um, if I have a spinning disc. I might have a spinning disc. You I don't know. do know because I picked out your iMac. You don't know. I might put one in here. You don't know. You didn't do that either. You don't know. Um, so if you are on a Fusion Drive, I, you know, I still think High Sierra is a fine update for you. Uh, there was a Craig Federighi email yesterday saying that high, uh, APFS will come in a High Sierra update. So I guess you have that to look forward to. Um, but definitely weird. But that's kind of what betas are for, right? Like betas are for 
Apple to change their mind about stuff. And yes, this is a big and admittedly scary thing to change their mind about, but I'd rather this happen in the beta than 10.13.0 come out and there's like a big problem and every Fusion Drive iMac explodes. That would be bad for everybody. So my guess is they're probably playing it safe and that they'll get this worked out and it'll all be set. Um, and then lastly, and we talked we talked some about this in in the iOS 11 coverage, but the new media codecs, HEVC and Heath are available on the Mac. What's great about HEVC is it takes 4K video and makes it more or less the same file size as 1080. You can see up to 40% smaller than H.264 4K video. This means that downloading movies from the internet in 4K are fine. Can't do that in iTunes, by the way. I don't know if you guys caught this. iTunes 4K content, you can't download. It's only for streaming, which I do not understand. Um, hmm. But, uh, you know, if you download something from YouTube in 4K or if you are working in 4K in Final Cut or iMovie, iMovie already got updated. Expert Final Cut will be updated shortly. Hmm. I bet I know why you can't download. EdQ? Because they cost $20, right? Like this was part of the deal, I bet. Like it's like a DRM thing. But even if you buy something new, yeah, I mean, it's it's... At least if it's going to be 30, give me the option because I want it downloaded. But uh, Right, oh well. but this is the point. Like, they're not going to let you, right? Like, the music, the movie, movie studios, they're like, this is what they've decided is my assumption. It's like, we'll let you the good yeah. price, but nobody can download them. Yeah. Um, and then um, Heath, same type deal, smaller than JPEGs. Mm-hmm. Heath is what gives you all the goodness with the live photo stuff. It's because it's actually stored as one, like in one container, as opposed to before you had a JPEG and a QuickTime file and the, iOS sort of smashed them together. Uh, it's much more graceful now. And what's really cool about this stuff is that Apple's done a really good job. Uh, if you go to export something, and Federico covered all this in iOS 11, it's the same in iOS 11. It will convert to the more compatible format if necessary. And it will it'll kind of always do the right thing. So if you email something, it's always going to convert it to a JPEG because they can't really guarantee anything over email. If it's AirDrop or iMessage, they know a little bit more about you, and so you may get the the HEAF or the HEVC format. Um, and what this means going forward is that people's photos libraries will be smaller. Apple is not going through your iCloud photo library and converting everything. I'm sure there will be Mac utilities that do that. Do them at your own risk, I guess. I'm not sure that's something I'm going to ever do. But moving forward, we should fill up our iCloud you know, allowances at a slower rate because these files will be smaller. And... Um, I think that Apple's done a good job with that on iOS and on the Mac. This conversion, I think, is going to be pretty seamless for people who upgrade all their stuff at the same time. You're never really going to notice this, and that's what you want from a codec change. Like, No end user should ever have to think about this, but Apple's got to do it, and so they've done it in a way on both platforms that makes it really, really effortless. And I, I think that's, um, I think that's a, a really big accomplishment that that they were able to like basically swap out all the guts of QuickTime and photos and no one ever notice. So I think that's, um, I think those are the big areas. Safari, photos, metal and eGPU, APFS, media codecs. Sticky's got a big update. I wrote way more about Sticky's than I ever thought I would. <laughs> that's but, that's um, fine. We don't need to talk about that here. People can just go and look at the screenshots in your review. Yeah. Two, yeah Sticky's got two screenshots. Uh, some sections got zero. Sticky's earned two. So... That that's worth something, I guess. Did this feel like a version of macOS worth putting the time into? Like when you're done, 
Do you feel that way on the the review? You mean? Yeah, I do. I do feel it's worth it because just like with the iOS reviews, there's always like what Apple talks about, and then there's stuff that is not evident until you dig into it. And it's easy to write high Sarah off. We all we all did it at the beginning of the show as a small Mac OS update. And it, and it is a small Mac OS update, relatively speaking, even as Mac OS updates have gotten smaller since Apple moved to the annual release. You pull the average Mac user, they can't tell you if they're on Yosemite or LCAP or Sierra. They're all kind of the same to a degree. High Sierra promised polish and improvements. And those are all there. But I think I think... Why I'm happy I spent the time with it is because that that under the hood stuff, these codec changes, APFS, these are important changes that Apple can now build on for the future. And it's important to understand where they are today to understand where they could go in the future. So yeah, I've got I got no regrets that it's ninety three hundred words and that it was, you know, a good chunk of my summer because I think it's important to know where Apple's gonna take the Mac in the future. And 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 I think more importantly than that, it knowing what they could do between iOS 11 and high Sierra and how that could just blossom into even more stuff in the future because they have these, these new technologies kind of underneath all of it across their platforms. Like HEVC is everywhere. Like it's on the Apple TV 4k. When you stream 4k content, you can't stream 4k YouTube because YouTube doesn't use HEVC. And like these, these frameworks are really pivotal for how we're going to experience Apple content and technology across the platforms, whether you have a Siri remote in your hand or an iPhone or an iMac on your desk. And uh, so, yeah, I think it's important to know kind of what's in here, even if on the surface high Sierra is a little boring. All right. So I think that wraps it up for this week. You can find uh, our show notes over at relay.fm slash connected slash one six one. If you want to find Stephen's work online, including his uh, High Sierra review, go to 512pixels.net and you'll find that. And uh, Stephen is tweeting at ISMH. Federico is at Vitici, V-I-T-I-C-C-I, and he's at MacStories.net, and I'm at iMike, I-M-Y-K-E. Thanks again to our lovely sponsors, the fine folk at Encapsula, FreshBooks, and Smile. And most of all, thank you for listening. We'll be back next time. Until then, say goodbye, guys. Arrivederci. Adios.